now listening to the Unshakable Health Podcast with Dr. Thomas Hemingway. All right, another week, another day. OMG, it is crazy. We're here in Utah in the mountains, and it is continuing to dump lots and lots of that white stuff. It's crazy. We're at 600 inches just this season alone. And there may be a good solid two months left of this. Oh my goodness. I'm loving it, but I'm a little tired of it in a way. And uh, can't wait to get back to Hawaii Nay and also going to be visiting Florida again soon. So got to get, this boy needs some vitamin D, that sunshine vitamin that we all love so much. So I hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying warm, that you're now getting into almost the spring. Many of you may be on spring break with your kids either this week or soon. So I hope you're enjoying that, enjoying the family, the connection. I really think that is the secret ingredient to life, to happiness, longevity, the folks out in the blue zones in Sardinia, in Costa Rica, the Nicoya Peninsula out in Japan, they got this thing right. They have strong community, strong connection. I really believe that is the most important ingredient to all of those blue zones, including Greece, Loma Linda. All of them really at heart have a just amazing sense of community and connection. So don't forget about that other vitamin C, not just the sun, not just that uh, stuff you get in your fruits and vegetables, but the vitamin C for connection that we all need so much because that I really think is the game changer. So I hope you're getting some connecting going on this week and you're enjoying time with family and friends and loved ones. And for now, I just want to thank you. Thank you for being here, taking a little bit of time out of your day to listen to the show. I do this for you. It tickles my heart to really hear each and every response. I wanted to share with you a review I just got recently over on Apple. It's entitled Love. Five-star review, it says, and I quote, thank you so much. I'm so grateful he started this podcast. The info is invaluable. It is nothing but positivity and encouragement here. I love learning how we are in control if we take the steps to a better well-being from Emily. Thank you, Emily. Yes, yes, yes. You are in control. My grandfather taught me this. In fact, I was just reading, rereading my book. It's actually going to be coming out so very soon. It's off to publishing. I'm going to have my proof here in a couple days. And I hope you guys are going to grab one. In fact, if you haven't pre-ordered it yet, jump on over there to thepreventablebook.com or to my website, thomashemingway.com, and pre-order your copy because you will get some extra bonuses including a free course that I've done on the five powerful practices described in this book. And my grandfather, as I was alluding to, he always taught me that we were in control of our health, of our life, that there was so much that we could do. I mean, this man was amazing. He lived until nearly 95 years old with insulin dependent diabetes, kind of like my daughter, who many of you know was recently diagnosed with the same type of diabetes, requiring insulin from a very, very young age, seven years of age. And I know that she can live a full life because my grandfather did it. And he was such a prime example of how to take charge and take control of your health, which you guys are doing right here now because you're here with me, you're listening, you're learning, you're loving. And so if you haven't done so already, please hop on over there to Apple or wherever you get your podcast, drop me a review because I will read it. And right now I'm entering everyone who drops a review between now and when the book comes out into a contest, a drawing. I'm actually gonna draw several names 
of folks just like you who have dropped a review and you will get a free copy of my book, Preventable, Five Powerful Practices to Avoid Disease and Build Unshakable Health, coming very, very soon to all the usual book platforms, including Amazon. It's going to be on Kindle. And in due time, I plan to read the thing for Audible. I'm so pumped, so excited about that as well. So don't forget to check that out. Easiest place, my website, thomashemingway.com. Without further ado, I wanted to get into this week's episode. In fact, Recording in progress. this episode is one of those that I really wanted to share with you because it's basically what I have learned with respect to the potential downsides, potential pitfalls, the potential dangers of a practice that I love and many of you love. This is none other than fasting or intermittent fasting or the variety that I practice, time-restricted eating. Yes, indeed, there are some potential downfalls, potential risks, potential negatives, despite this being a practice which I do very often and it has numerous health benefits, including increased insulin sensitivity, increased mental clarity, sharpness, focus, that zest. I love how I feel when I'm fasted because I can think clearly. I am sharp. I feel like I can tackle the world. And I think this is, of course, on purpose because it's the way we're designed. Because for millennia, we woke up basically hungry in the sense that we didn't have a pantry refrigerator a fast food joint, a Starbucks, any place we could go to quickly to get some calories. We didn't have any of that. So we had to be sharp. We had to be focused. We had to be mentally quick, acute, and aware, and on our game, as well as to get our physical stamina going so we could go on the hunt or we could go on a long walk to find some tubers or berries or what have you. And so this increased mental focus and clarity, the brain-derived neurotropic factor that gets released when we're fasting, remarkable, amazing stuff. But there is some potential downsides. And so I wanted to get into that today in this podcast because I want you to know all that I know and that I've experienced with fasting throughout the last several years. I've been doing a whole ton of fasting and there are some potential risks. Um, One of them, and this may not be talked about much, is that it can bring about in somebody who's already prone to, for example, extreme behaviors such as an eating disorder, any kind of addictive type personality, you can easily kind of get addicted to intermittent fasting. I sort of did myself and I was doing this thing nonstop every single day, literally seven days a week, 365 days a year. I did this for a couple of years and I realized this was not the best for me. I was not changing it up. But it's really easy to get so hyper-focused. Many of us are super type A personalities like myself that we see something that's great and we just want to crush it and do it harder and longer. And, you know, we start out maybe doing that circadian overnight fast, which is a simple 12 hours, which I really feel like we could all benefit from. And we could all really do almost any day of the week. But I was starting to push the envelope, do 16, 18, 24 hour fast. I would even occasionally do 48 or 72 hour fast, which are all fine when done occasionally. You shouldn't be fasting your body every single day for long periods of time because your body is smart. Your body has the genes. We have those same genes as our ancestors that told us how to adapt to starvation or adapt to scarcity. Uh, Right now, we don't have a lot of scarcity with respect to food. Food is available no matter wherever we turn, although much of it is calorically dense and rich, super high calorie, but very nutritionally poor, but certainly 
for the most part, we are not at a deficit with respect to calories. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. There is energy from food. And so when we take prolonged periods, for example, if we just take what I have been practicing, which is a time-restricted eating or feeding variety of intermittent fasting where you fast somewhere between 12 and 18 hours a day. Some people will go even longer to this kind of OMAD approach where they're just doing one meal a day and maybe they're only eating for two hours complete and 22 hours they're fasted. And although I think this is fine once in a while to practice this every single day has been shown to bring about some potential for an eating disorder. So be careful with this prolonged fasting, not only because it can trigger an eating disorder, especially in somebody who's already experienced in the past some type of eating disorder, whether it be bulimia, anorexia, whatever it may be, any kind of body dysmorphic type of condition. There's so many different eating disorders out there. And so be careful with your fasting to not get too strict or too long or too rigid with it. Remember, the key is being flexible. Flexibility and variety is not only the secret to enjoying your life, but it's the secret to having a better high-functioning metabolism is having that flexibility, the metabolic flexibility, so you can turn things on, turn things off, and do them at the time that you need it. So this is how we were designed. We were designed to be able to hold on to calories in times of crisis, scarcity, famine, right? Nowadays, there's not much famine in the developed world. In fact, right now, obesity has overtaken malnutrition and scarcity of food and resources in almost all of the world. Yes, there are some places still having major issues with hunger and starvation, but by the sheer numbers, there is more obesity now than starvation when you look at the numbers worldwide. Obesity is becoming the number one problem worldwide, the disability that comes with the so-called so uh, comorbidities which come with obesity, which are things like type 2 diabetes, heart disease, even most cancer can be linked to obesity. All of the inflammatory conditions like the neurodegenerative stuff, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's linked to obesity. I mentioned cancer and heart disease. Also, many of the autoimmune conditions can be linked to obesity. And so obesity right now is the number one killer worldwide with respect to its umbrella of other diseases that it encompasses, including heart disease, which is still, of course, the number one and leading cause of death in women and men worldwide. And so be careful with intermittent fasting to don't be extreme with it. This is a tool. And like any tool, there's a time to use this tool, but it's not necessarily every single day, 365 days a year, right? If I have a toolbox and I have a Phillips screwdriver, that's not going to be the only tool I use 100% of the time. I might need the other, the straight edge or blade screwdriver. I might need a wrench. I might need a socket set. I might need a Stanley knife. I might need a saw or a hammer, right? There's all these different tools and intermittent fasting is one of them. Fasting is amazing, lots of benefits, but be careful because it can potentially bring up an eating disorder, especially in someone who's had one before. The other thing that you have to be alerted to is that your body, as I mentioned, will get used to this low caloric state, this fasting or low calorie state that it has literally taken millennia to adapt to, to be able to conserve energy during this time of fasting. And so it will hold on to calories. It knows how to do that. And what will happen is if you fast every single day and you never mix it up and you never take a break and you're pushing it hard and you're doing 16, 18, 20, you're doing one meal a day or the OMAD and you're never deviating from this, guess what? Your body will hold on to those calories tightly and you may even, it's just, it's, I know it's odd and strange, but you may actually 
gain weight or stop losing weight. If your goal was to lose weight, you'll lose weight in the beginning. But once your body adapts, it's called metabolic adaptation. It adapts to sort of this famine approach, right? The scarcity of calories, this low calorie thing that you're doing every single day, it adapts to it. And so it holds on to calories even stronger. So if your goal is weight loss, you'll probably plateau a couple of weeks in unless you mix it up, unless. So mixing it up is key. I don't do intermittent fasting anymore. More than five days a week is my max. And the other two days, I may do my simple overnight, which I call the circadian fast, simple 12-hour fast. I think that is good for all of us anytime because that is what our bodies are designed to do. We need to have that period where we are not eating so our body can undergo the rejuvenation, the detoxification, the flushing of the system, right? The taking out of the trash. You guys know I have six kids. Imagine what it would look like in my house if we never took out the trash. If I don't even take out the trash for one day, we notice. I mean, we're feeding a family of eight. There's a bunch of trash. And imagine how that would build up if I don't take the trash out at least once a day. Cooking, you know, for these six little kids as well as my wife, eight of us in total, if we never took out the trash, it would be a disaster. And so in our bodies, we need to take out the trash too. We need to take out that proverbial trash, which is the buildup of toxins, of metabolic waste, um, the breakdown products of cells. This, this process that we undergo is called autophagy. And it's magical, but it can only really happen while we are not eating. But we need to have a break from this high-taxing, highly energized process called metabolism and digestion, and that can only occur while, we're, while we are sleeping. So taking about 12 hours off every night, perfect, but you don't want to push it to 16, 18, 20, 22 hours every single day. You have to mix it up so your body doesn't adapt to it and start to hold on to those calories more fiercely. So prolonging the fast once a week, if you want to do a longer one or a couple times a week, that's fine. If you want to do a 24-hour fast once a month like I do, or even a 48 or 72-hour fast, maybe once or twice a year, also great. But just be careful to not push it too hard and to not mix it up. The other thing that you want to consider, especially if you're a woman, and I know many ladies are listening to this, and I thank you so much for being a part of this movement, this Unshakable Health movement. For women, we need to focus specifically on the timing of our menstrual cycle because any of us that may be ovulating, any of those ladies out there, my wife included, that are ovulating once a month, you need to time your fasting accordingly because around ovulation, about mid-cycle, you also don't want to push it really hard. Your body naturally is not going to want to push those really long 16, 18, 20, 22-hour fasts mid-month. It's also not going to want to push it at the end of the month when you're premenstrual, a couple of days before your cycle comes and you're starting to be a little bit more insulin dependent, you're starting to crave carbohydrates more. As you know, ladies out there, this is not the time to Try and undergo a 14, 16, 18, 20-hour fast right before your menses, right before your cycle starts again. You will be hangry, you'll be angry, you'll be not happy, grumpy, grouchy, all the things. And if you push the fasting, it's going to be hard for your body. You're not going to feel good. Your body naturally craves some carbs during this time as well. And it's naturally a little bit more insulin resistant during this time. So at the end of the month or before the cycle starts, that premenstrual several days is not the time to push it. However, once you have your menses, the first week or so of the cycle, the so-called uh, follicular phase, as you're building up the endometrium there, the lining, this is actually a really good time to do those longer fasts. So for ladies, you have a really solid 
good week towards the beginning of the month, right after your menses, to really push your envelope if you want to. If you want to try the 16-hour, the 18-hour, even a 20, 22, even a 24-hour fast, this would be the time of the month to do it. And then as you get towards mid-cycle, back off. Don't push it real hard. And then the end of the month, also back off and don't push it real hard because your hormones are fluctuating throughout the month and especially the end of month when everything is dropping, you don't want to be pushing the envelope with your fasting because number one, you'll hate it. You won't feel great. Your body also is going to be grouchy with you. It's not going to work awesome. And another thing I wanted to talk about is it's really common for people when they're practicing fasting, especially when they're just adapting to it, there can be lots of issues with hunger and cravings. And that's especially when you haven't really done this for a while. Once you've kind of done it and your body's used to it, you'll notice that the hunger and the cravings kind of dissipate. And often you won't really feel hungry much at all. I know when I wake up in the morning, I don't wake up hungry. I just don't. I've just had this practice of a minimum 12-hour circadian fast, which I love because when I first get up, I can start hitting it. I can either do a fasted workout. I can get ready for the day make my plan, make my movement, exercise, whatever, get my kids to school, get them up and going, make them breakfast. I don't necessarily eat when they do unless I feel like doing so. And if I do, I do eat. I don't feel like I can't do it. I listen to my body. I'm at a point where I think it's so important that we actually do what I like to call mindful eating, where we basically listen to our body and respond to those cues. And when we've been kind of doing this a while, the intermittent fasting thing and mixing it up and not just doing the same thing over and over and over, when we do mix it up at least a couple of days a week, we will really get in tune with our body and our body's needs. Um, there was actually a study I wanted to share with you from 2020 that looked at uh, fasting. And what they noticed is in the beginning of their fasting, as I was just kind of alluding to, they tended to have more of the hunger issues because their bodies hadn't really adapted. They weren't metabolically flexible or not. And you guys know I've talked a lot about metabolic flexibility over the years. And when we're just kind of coming out of maybe being somewhat carbohydrate dependent, when we, when we tend to, many of us as Americans eat 60 plus percent of our diet in carbohydrates. And then when we first start fasting, it can be challenging because we're having cravings. And that's normal. That's okay. So when you're first starting this out, uh, if you can only do eight hours, which is the time that you're sleeping, that's fine. Then gradually increase that to 10. I would love it if everybody could get up to about 12 hours overnight. That's kind of this little sweet spot, the Goldilocks area. And then if you want to do a couple of days a week, 14, 16, or even 18, that's fine. But make sure to back off a couple of days a week as well and to don't push it each and every day. And so this study... Um, from the Public Library of Science in 2019, it talked about that. It's entitled Safety, Health, Improvement, and Well-Being During a 4- to 21-Day Fasting Period. And what they were talking about is they were doing cycles of fasting. They weren't fasting for you know, 21 days in a row. They had different lengths of fasting. What they noticed is that in the beginning of their fasting, they tended to have much more cravings, much more sort of hunger pains, things like that. But as they got used to fasting, duh, big surprise, their body didn't really have those cravings and hunger pains and things like that. And so this is where we know we're kind of flexible, where our bodies are getting used to it, and we can bounce between all of the different food resources, right, from the fats to the proteins to the carbohydrates, and we can bounce from one to the next, and we can eat any of those as long as they're from real, whole, natural, well-sourced food, single-ingredient stuff. We're going to feel great afterwards, uh, by and large. We're not going to feel crappy if we just dive into some kind of snack food, which, you know, 
it's not surprising. It, it makes us feel good super temporarily. And then a few minutes, 30, 60, 90 minutes later, we feel like total garbage because of the inflammation that ensues. And so um, the hunger pains, the cravings, that's typically in the beginning when you're just kind of getting used to coming off of a carbohydrate-dependent metabolism. Um, oftentimes, people also can have some headaches, lightheadedness, um, when they first try fasting, this is just a sign that you can back off a little bit. Don't really push it real hard and especially pay attention to the timing. As I mentioned, if you're a woman, time it around the menstrual cycle. Make sure you're not pushing it towards the end of the month or mid-cycle that you're not pushing it as well. There are definitely times to, um, you know, to not be pushing the envelope, so to speak. Once you're beyond menopause, it becomes less important to time it to to the cycle because you're not having a regular cycle but you'll still notice that there will be times where mostly what i notice in me i'm a dude i'm not cycling obviously but i notice with respect to my other habits say for example i'm not sleeping as well i've been up super late like i was several days last week kind of cranking out some last minute edits and things on my book and the book cover and things like that i was up really late i wasn't sleeping well and so the next day guess what duh i didn't feel like pushing the envelope and fasting really, really long. I did my overnight, you know, circadian 12-hour fast, but I wasn't really pushing it. And so also if you're doing lots of really heavy, heavy workouts, that's not the time to be pushing the fasting window, right? You need to make sure that you're nourishing your body, that you're paying attention to the cues because your body is the best coach, so to speak, the best judge, especially after it gets adapted to this metabolic flexibility, which is sort of all of our goals. And so some of the other downsides I wanted to uh, mention with respect to fasting are that we um, often we kind of misunderstand the whole fasting terminology. All the fasting that I'm speaking about, including the intermittent or time restricted, or even the 24-hour fast or the multiple day fast, the 48-72, all of these are basically only fasting from calories. All of these would be perfectly fine to drink water. I know some people in some religions, they try to do fasting with zero water, zero calories, zero nothing. That's, for most people, not the kind of fasting I would recommend. I'd always recommend that we do have some hydration available, especially if you're living in a place like I do much of the year, Hawaii or Florida, where it's super hot, super humid. You don't want to be depriving yourself of that so important resource, which is good old-fashioned H2O or water. So as a caveat, whenever you are fasting, whether it just be an overnight fast or intermittent time restricted, or you're doing a little bit longer, make sure you are hydrating. And simple steps for that, monitor the color of your urine, make sure that it's not super dark, right? If it's just a light yellow, that's perfect. Um, and um, you just don't want to push it when you're fasting because you need to hydrate. In fact, if you do a longer fast, 24 hour or even 48 or 72, absolutely, I would encourage you to include electrolytes as well because dehydration is truly a killer and it can not only cause even in the early phases decrease in your mental clarity your mental performance obviously your physical performance will wane and suffer if you're not appropriately hydrated but then you can actually get into danger zones if you go too long without water so i really wouldn't recommend going any longer than 24 hours if you want to do a full 24 hours without water and you're not sweating a bunch and you're decreasing your um, activity, your exercise and things. If that's what you want to do and that's part of your spiritual practice, that's fine. But I really wouldn't push it beyond that. I would always encourage you to stay hydrated at any time during your fasting. So, so important. 
Water is truly life. It's living water. It's our body is comprised predominantly of water. Our brains, everything in our body is overwhelmingly, the majority is water. So make sure you stay well hydrated. Um, make sure you um, pay attention as well when you are fasting, um, you know, especially if you're doing multiple days or if you're doing it frequently, like if you're practicing time-restricted feeding, say five days a week, make sure you're getting enough Nutrients, you don't want to suffer from any type of malnutrition. The most common one that I would see is in folks that are not consuming enough protein because they're eating only one meal a day and they're doing this for a long period of time. Maybe the, the folks that are following David Sinclair, he always talks about narrowing your window. And I think he may be oftentimes a one meal a day kind of guy. And, and I think he pushes it a little bit too much. The, the data really doesn't support that you have to be a one meal a day person. Um, I certainly, I've tried it and other than doing it once in a while, I don't recommend it for everyday use. I really don't because it's really hard to get enough protein into your body in one meal a day. Like for me, my goal is 150 grams of protein. And I don't know if you've ever tried to do 150 grams of protein at lunch. I wouldn't recommend it because it's a lot. It's going to be taxing on your body to break that down. It's challenging. And if you're active like me, um, especially as we're aging, I'm turning 50 next year. As many of you know, we really need our protein. We need to focus on building muscle. Muscle is our best metabolic help and aid, and you need protein for that. And it's just really difficult to do that in one meal a day. So that's why I don't recommend folks are pushing this one meal a day thing all the time. I think if you do it once in a while, that's fine. If you want to even do it twice a week, and then the rest of the week, just eat normally, that would be kind of like what many would consider like a 5-2 method. I think that's fine, but it's just not for everyday use. What I would recommend for everyday use is what I alluded to in the beginning is just a simple overnight circadian fast, roughly 12 hours. It's doable. It's helpful. It's efficient. And actually what may be even more helpful is pushing the window forward a little bit. In other words, stopping your eating for the day a little bit earlier. And when I started my intermittent fasting, I think just like many, I sort of was under this impression that we just had to keep prolonging the onset or our first meal, the break the fast meal, the breakfast, and push that later and later and later. And I was pushing that to like two o'clock in the afternoon and then I would eat until maybe 8 p.m. So I'd have like a six-hour window. And overall, I'd be fasting for like 18 hours, but my last meal would be ending around 8. And this wasn't awesome for my sleep because unless I was going to bed minimum 11 p.m. or later, at least three hours after my meal, it was jacking with my sleep. And what's been found actually in the newer data from Dr. Sachinanda Panda and colleagues at the Salk Institute and others who are studying this is that if you push the window earlier in the day, in other words, you stop eating earlier, like say 5 p.m., for example, like right, right now I'm in the mountains of Utah. By 5 p.m., it's dark outside. And so if I stop eating when it gets dark or at about 5 p.m., and then I allow myself to eat a little bit earlier in the day, maybe it's like 9 o'clock, um, you know, I've already fasted 12 plus 4, 16 hours right there. If I just wait until 9 a.m. to eat breakfast, I could even, heck, I could eat breakfast at 7 when, when my kids do, and that would still be a 14-hour fast if I end my eating at 5 p.m. And what's interesting about this is, I'll tell you right away, you will notice your sleep will dramatically improve. Having food in your belly for your overnight you know, sleeping is not awesome. You may get to sleep because you feel that postprandial, maybe a little bit hypoglycemia, maybe that postprandial kind of laziness for the first hour or two, but then your blood sugar may drop and you may wake up from sleep. 
You may go to sleep easily and quickly because you're tired after a big meal, especially if it's carbohydrate laden, but you may actually wake up a couple hours later from that postprandial or after eating lower blood sugar, hypoglycemia, which may occur, which is not awesome. It's going to disrupt your sleep, plus the taxing metabolism, metabolic activity that occurs with digestion is so dang taxing. You're not going to be able to rest deeply. And if you ever monitor your sleep, like I've been doing recently with one of these uh, fancy watches, it'll show you your sleep is not awesome if you eat late at night. So try pushing your dinner a little earlier. Try to be done with dinner by five or six o'clock and have three to four to five hours that you're not eating before bed. Try it out. You'd be surprised at how amazing it would work. And then allow yourself to eat a little bit earlier in the morning. If it is, you feel like doing so. Don't feel like there's this real rigid you know, time frame. That's probably my biggest um, recommendation based upon this podcast is just to listen to your body. Make sure to be clued in, to be mindful, to practice what is often referred to as intuitive eating. And don't be rigid because anytime we're rigid, we are bordering you know, a problem with an eating disorder. And we don't want that. Those things, I, I have personal family members that have suffered with those for many years and most of their lives. And it is so challenging. And it's not something I want for any of you. So be flexible, have variety in your fasting, have variety in your life. Make sure to just respond to your body to be mindful. And remember that intermittent fasting is not for kids. My, my kids, and I, I, I'm, at, I'm at fault for this, so I was doing it, and so they were kind of watching what I was doing, and they were starting to delay their breakfast, and they were starting to push the envelope and fast 16 or 18 hours, and I'm like, guys, don't do it. In fact, part of the reason I stopped doing these longer fasts is because I didn't want my kids to also be doing it. This is not for young kids. This is not for growing teenagers. It's probably fine for them to do a 12-hour fast. That's what I did growing up. I think you guys know this story. My mom cooked dinner for us, and we were done eating. She cooked. We ate, sat down at 5. By 5.30 p.m., we were done, and we didn't eat breakfast till around 7 or 7.30. So we did a 12- to 14-hour circadian overnight fast because that's just what we did. I mean, literally, she locked the fridge at night. We did not have snacks, no midnight snacks, no late night snacks, nothing. We didn't eat till the morning and we were fine. But we ate three meals a day. We could even have a snack when we got home from school. You know, usually that was a handful of nuts or it was an apple or an orange or whatever kind of fruit we had available. And so don't have your kids fast. I don't want them to develop an eating disorder. They're all growing. They actually need their calories. So not a good idea for kids to be fasting other than a simple overnight 12-hour circadian fast. It's helpful to teach them to be mindful too, but definitely from speaking from my own personal experience, do not be having your kids fast because it can easily help them um, develop an eating disorder, which is not awesome. And it's, it's, yeah, not, don't do it. So teach them to listen to their body and listen to how they feel when they eat, when they're hungry, to respond to those cues, thirst, very important. But to have them be fasting because you're trying to do it, uh, not, not, not awesome. I don't, I don't uh, encourage it. So also pregnant, breastfeeding women, anything other than, you know, a simple overnight, like 10 to 12 hour, you know, circadian fast, I wouldn't really push that because they need to be able to produce breast milk if they're nursing or to be able to grow a baby. And you need calories for that. You can, you know, have windows where you don't eat overnight. That's fine. But if you have the cue and your body tells you to eat, by all means, eat. Listen to your body. Be mindful. Be intuitive. Always encourage you to eat real, whole, single-ingredient foods. And for me, those can be available at any time during the day. If you're eating real, whole, single-ingredient foods that are well-raised, well-sourced, 
good ingredients. You recognize them all. They don't look like a chemistry lab. By all means, respond to your body's hunger and thirst cues and just pay attention, especially for the women out there that are either pregnant or breastfeeding. This is not the time to be fasting. This is not the time. A simple overnight circadian fast, probably okay, but just listen to your body. If your body tells you it needs to eat, eat and make sure it's whole, real, single ingredient food as best as you can. Hydration, super key, especially in pregnancy. But what I want to say is to listen to your body. That is so key, so critical. And then anybody who has specific medical issues, like my daughter, for example, she has type 1 diabetes, and she is on a long-acting insulin, for example, and so she can't go long periods of time without eating anything because she's got insulin floating around that's long-acting. And so anybody with any kind of medical condition, you know, be cautious with any type of fasting Always review any practice with your doctor before you do it. Once again, as we know, what we're talking about here is not medical advice. This is just uh, education. It's entertainment. It's fun. Lots of cool things that I've gleaned over the years that I'm happy to share with you. But make sure you discuss with your own personal care uh, provider, um, doctor, or other um, provider that you seek for help with these kinds of things because it should be individualized. That's one of my favorite things about what I like to call nowadays, this, this is available, and I really think everybody should be doing it, which is a type of personalized medicine. We're all different. We're all unique. That's what makes the world turn. It's beautiful. It's amazing. There's no one-size-fits-all diet for everyone. There's no one-size-fits-all fasting plan for everyone. If you want to hear all the different types, the 5-2, the time-restricted feeding, the multiple-day fast, the OMAD, you know, all these kinds of the, the every other day type things. There's so many types of fasting. Go back to my original podcast that I did on intermittent fasting to learn about all the different types, but there's no one size fits all approach. I really feel like we need to personalize it. We need to individualize it and we just need to respond to our body's own cues. And as we eat real nutrient dense, single ingredient, whole foods, our body will tell us when we need to eat. So listen to your body, be intuitive, make sure you're not forcing your kids to fast. Don't be fasting if you're pregnant, you know, if you're breastfeeding, if you have other medical conditions, obviously you want to discuss all these things with your healthcare provider. But remember, at the end of the day, this is a tool. It's like I mentioned in the beginning. It's like a Phillips screwdriver. It's not for everything. It can be useful for a lot of things, but it's not for everything. It's one tool in the toolbox, and it's definitely an awesome one that I love to use. But I, I will tell you, I am not fasting rigidly like I used to. I did almost two years of a pretty rigid 16, 18 hour, almost daily fast. And what I noticed in me is that I wasn't getting enough protein. I was starting to lose a little bit of weight and I was starting to lose muscle mass, which I didn't want to do. I, I was losing muscle mass because I wasn't able to get in enough protein in one or two meals a day. I just couldn't do it. It's too challenging. So I'm back to eating three meals a day now, each and every day. I um, if, unless I'm doing a specific like 24 hour fast once a month, I eat three meals a day, almost every day, but I do do a 12 hour overnight fast. And that's been useful and helpful, but I'm not pushing the envelope seven days a week. Like I used to, I might push it two or three days a week. And if I'm real busy and I just want to skip a meal and I'm not really hungry, that's fine too. I just let my body kind of be the one that dictates. And I listen and I try to try to respond to those cues, which I would recommend that you do as well. So the bottom line is fasting has amazing benefits. I love it dearly. It's been a game changer in my life, but don't be rigid about it. Don't be strict about it. you have to follow this specific 14, 16, 18, 20 hour window, whatever you're pushing. 
Do it once in a while, but don't do it every single day. Remember, your body adapts. It's called metabolic adaptation. You may actually stall if you're trying to lose weight. You may you know, lose for a few weeks, and then as your body adapts to it, it'll plateau. Maybe you'll even gain some weight, and you'll be eating less calories. Like, what the heck? I'm starving myself, and I'm gaining weight. It doesn't make sense. You have to mix it up. So mix it up. Spice it up, have some variety, and just be intuitive and listen to your body. Make sure you're staying well hydrated. Discuss things with your own personal healthcare professional and just be flexible. Be flexible. With this and with any other practice, be flexible. Don't be rigid. I think that is the parting wisdom I want to share with you is just just to be flexible. Don't feel like you have to do anything all the time. You don't. You just don't have to. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. It's a lot of things I've learned over the years. And I'm telling you, I adjust my practices all the time. I just try to keep learning and to keep experiencing and just be flexible and be patient with yourself. Our bodies are miraculous. They can do so much, but they also need us to pay attention and to respond to how and what they need. So don't push the envelope each and every day. Try to give your body a break. Try to mix it up. Be able to adapt and just be flexible. And like, comment, share, and subscribe. Please subscribe. Make sure you never miss an episode. And if you haven't dropped a review already, please do so. I read every single one. And right now, you will be entered in to win a free copy of my upcoming book, Preventable. So I hope you'll grab that pre-order at thomashemingway.com or thepreventablebook.com or follow me on Instagram at drthomashemingway. I'm doing nearly daily reels on just helpful, useful tips. And I just love to see you there. So thanks again for being a part of my day and being able to just listen and learn and love. Please share, 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 like, tag me. I love to see that. And just keep on trucking. Love you guys. Until next time, lots of aloha, lots of love. Stay warm, connect with your family, and remember, be flexible. That is today's message. Flexibility is key. Aloha. Aloha.